Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Today, we have with us Carly Burgi. She is a speech-language pathologist with expertise in voice care. She has spent 10 years treating voice disorders in outpatient medical settings in both Colorado and now in Pennsylvania, where she lives. Carly launched a private practice just last year where she continues this work. She serves as an adjunct instructor at Moravian College, where she founded a clinic focused on transgender voice care. She is a founding member of the Lehigh Valley Threshold Choir. It's an organization committed to singing at the bedside of those in hospice care. And she's also the host of the soon-to-be-launched podcast titled Leave a Message that Explores Voice and Identity, which is what we will discuss together today. So Carly, welcome to the Changing Faith Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to learn from you. Um, But right as we begin, right at the top, what are some things our listeners uh, should know about you? Yeah, so the first thing that comes to mind is that I'm um, that I'm an Enneagram Eight. So it's I think you know in most podcast worlds that kind of helps people right away be like, oh, okay, I know something about you. And the the reason I bring that up is because I think the the lesser known or less shared part of the eight is really that tender core. Um, and that is big in me. Like I feel things really deeply and it's scary to share, um, sometimes to share feelings and to, you know, share our voices, which is, I think why I'm so passionate about this work that I do. Fascinating. So you, you work as a speech language pathologist, which I even got tripped up pronouncing that, (laughs) um, and you specialize, you said, in voice care. Can you describe what does your work look like day to day? What What is that kind of work that you're doing? Yeah. So many people are familiar with the term speech therapist. This is the same thing. Um, voice therapy is a specific type of speech therapy. So there's a big umbrella of things you can do. And for me, that looks like seeing people one-on-one and talking through any voice problems that they're having. So that could be something like vocal cord paralysis. Maybe one vocal cord doesn't work. We have two and ideally they both move and open and close and have a lot of different functions. Um, But if one's not working, then you probably need to do voice therapy. And so it could be something like that, like a pathology, um, something on the vocal cords. So nodules or a polyp. Um, And it could just be tension. Some people use their voices in a way that create unsustainable habits. And um, yeah, so the the work itself looks like one-on-one sessions and, you know, going over voice exercises and conversational techniques to optimize how one produces the voice. You know, I'm reminded as you say this, that somewhere in the neighborhood of probably nine or 10 years ago, I was, we were at that point at Denver community church doing four services every Sunday. And so I would be preaching for two hours, about a half hour, give or take per time. And my voice started to ache when I was done. I'd never experienced it. And I went and saw, uh, she called herself a vocal coach, (laughs) but when you talked about the habits 
she told me my habit was that I just speak too loud. Hmm. And then I explained to her I was the youngest of six kids and that was the only way to get attention. But, <laughs> but she brought me through these vocal exercises that like created an endurance in my vocal cords. I don't know if that, if that rings true. Is that, is that similar to the kind of work you would find yourself doing? Yes, absolutely. So I also call myself a voice coach, depending on who I'm working with. I think voice therapy is more related to rehabilitation. Again, when there's some kind of diagnosed pathology or disorder and voice coaching can be kind of the habilitation side of that. That's just focused on, Hey, let's optimize this. Um, let's make sure your voice is in good shape. And so absolutely those habits are really important to be mindful of. And then combining that with, you know, kind of exercises and, um, vocal fitness. Yeah. will help you endure. Did it help you? It did. Yeah. Tremendously, tremendous help. And it also helped me. Well, I like to think I don't speak with the same volume that I used to. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll let my friends and my family be the one, be the ones to judge that. But what is it that led you into this field of work? So my background is in singing and in music. I was adamant to get a music degree, even though both my parents who were musicians tried to talk me out of that. Um, they were like, please don't study music. It's not, you know, lucrative or practical, but, um, I love music and I love the, the creative art that comes with it. So I did study music and then later discovered as part of one of my voice courses, actually, um, kind of the science behind how the voice works. We went and got our vocal cords looked at as part of our, um, coursework. And I didn't know that that was a thing. The person who scoped me was a speech language pathologist and also a singer. And she was like, yeah, this is what I do. I use the scope and I help people with voice problems. And so that really stuck in my mind. And years later, when I had, you know, finished my music degree and um, lived and worked in Nashville, Tennessee for a while, I just felt like it was a way better fit for my personality to to kind of pursue the science alongside the art. So yeah, first for music and then it went from there. Fascinating. And so you've, you've done this for, for a, a, a long season, yeah. but I'm wondering um, what was so fascinating to me when I, when I read your email um, was that you've begun the process of connecting our voices um, and your care for those with our identity. What what was it that led you to even begin making those connections and, and heading down that road? Yeah, I think the work itself really kept showing me patterns in my patients and in myself. So it was really interesting when someone would come in and say, gosh, I am really pressed. My voice is super tight it's really uncomfortable. I fatigue easily. Um, and I don't like how it sounds. And they would maybe talk in a way that mirrored that. So, you know, if I was going to do a pressed voice, it might sound like counting to 10, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, you know, and if I just kind of hang out there, uh, it's a little bit throaty and I'm like kind of pushing and my breaths are really short and I'm kind of 
you know, fast maybe. And then, so they would present with this pattern, but then their narrative that they were inhabiting, their actual story would often match it, you know? And so when we would make changes that were like, hey, what happens if you make space for each word in your mouth or, you know, take a longer breath in there, it would really require changes to their story. It would be like, well, I'm a teacher and I have to, you know, talk bell to bell. And if I don't do this and I have all these expectations on me and, and it would often look like modifying their life to some degree. So, you know, that, that story and the voice would match and, and improving both would intersect often. And so, yeah, I, I think we all do that sometimes we'll, where we are very pressed. For example, that's one pattern out of many that I see, um, but it's being able to notice it and not live in that pattern all the time. Like for you, if you maybe default to being a click or two louder than most people, like that's fine, but it's not sustainable every, you know, sentence of every day in every setting. So it's being aware of it and being able to make vocal choices, which I think can be really interesting. So th this might be a little bit like cart, cart before the horse or what, whichever order they go in, but you start noticing this in people, you start hearing the, the patterns, as you say, are you coaching people first on their voice or is it in your coaching about the voice, helping them to see the, the story that they're inhabiting as, as you said? It's certainly voice focused. I think it, it does get out of my scope of practice to unpack too much. Uh, usually there's things to unpack as to why this is happening, but it does bleed into our, our work. I mean, counseling people as it relates to their communication is part of, is part of what I do. And for you, like you said, it might be something as simple as, oh, well, I'm one of six kids and I was the youngest and I had to kind of like thing for my supper, so to speak, you know, and <laughs> normal, like that can be, uh, that can be unpacking it enough for someone to notice like, oh, wow, I have a pattern. And so it might be as simple as being like, go unpack that. But it certainly is connected. And, and the home practice or the things that I ask somebody to do, you know, for many people that looks like inhabiting their life in a way that they haven't been doing. So it's interesting. What are some of the ways you see people you, you've talked, you use the phrase inhabiting their story, inhabiting their lives. What does that begin to look like in the lives of people that you're working with? It looks like probably first building awareness. So I think noticing, uh, the way that you speak is a really big chore for some people because you know, most of us just talk. We don't really think about anything related to talking. It's almost automatic. But every time you talk, you are making choices. You know, how loud you talk, how quickly you talk, how much you move your mouth, the types of breaths you take, do you move your hands, you know, all these things that impact our communication. And so it's interesting when people take stock of that and evaluate, what do I do by default? Like, what do I do without thinking? And that 
work alone can give some fruitful answers. Like I'm pretty loud at default or I'm pretty pressed or for other people, I see a pattern that I call guarded, which is kind of like talking while you're holding your breath. So again, counting to 10, it might sound like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then I have all this air left and I kind of hold air and I don't exhale as I talk. And again, so if I'm saying to someone who's maybe presenting with this voice and who's complaining to me of tension and, and problems, we'll say, all right, let's do these voice exercises. And I want you to, you know, really spend air as you speak. I want you to feel and listen for airflow, maybe even go up like one click in your volume and they do that and their voice feels better. And they're like, great in the session. But then they have to go to their job and and maybe communicate with their coworkers that way or with their family in that way. And it can be literally for them, you know, taking up space in a way that they just haven't done before. And people will notice like, wow, you are different, like you're more confident or you're whatever it is, you know, so it's just the application of it is very literal for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fascinating listening to you, um, speak that there's the book and I'm sure you've heard of it. It's called the body keeps the score. Yeah. And it talks about how we physically, there's a physical reality to what we experience, whether that be emotions, any kind of trauma. Mm -hmm. And I've never considered the fact, and what I hear you saying is our voice, which is a, a physical manifestation of our body yeah. actually presents in somehow is a giving sound, if you will, to some of the things we're experiencing. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, the vocal cords, the the system, the larynx, it's muscles, it's cartilage, it is a literal thing. And those muscles move. Um, you know, when we speak, our vocal cords vibrate a lot. So from, you know, 100 to 250 times per second, it's like hummingbird wings, there's a lot going on there. And so it is literal and physical, but yeah, I mean, it also has so much to do with what we want to communicate. And in that, in that same vein of what you're talking about, the vocal cords are innervated by the vagus nerve. And that's really the same highway as the nervous system, as all of the things that regulate our body. <laughs> so I think the voice can be kind of, I always say it's kind of on one hand, a thermostat, we can go in and set it like, I'm going to warm up, I'm going to use these voice techniques that I learned to really speak myself into the world the way that I want. But it can also be a thermometer, it can also be like, my voice is shaking, and I'm nervous, or I'm, you know, you can hear when someone's emotional, or something's happening. It's, it's a window into that same system that regulates us. Well, now, now I'm going to find myself listening to people speak and it, I already know this. I'm like in the weeks to come, mm -hmm. I'm going to start listening for voices. One of the things that you shared about is your passion of helping leaders and professionals optimize their voices into their work, into their homes. And you talked about it being both authentic and comfortable, the most authentic and comfortable voice possible. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? What does that What does that look like to have an authentic voice? Sure. Well, I think first of all, it's worth saying that right now, all of us 
are relying on our voices more than ever because we are distanced from people. We're speaking over web conferencing or often through a mask. So we really are cutting off a lot of the other communications that help us, things that are nonverbal. Um, and so the voice really, we're relying on it a lot. And many of us are, are wearing it out doing just our day-to-day -day life. So I would say, you know, on the one hand, an authentic voice needs to be functional. It needs to last the whole day for whatever you're doing. So if you have a day and your voice doesn't last for it, something isn't right, either in your voice or in your day. <laughs> so it should last. It should feel consistent and reliable. Um, but I think the most authentic voice often is pretty free from tension as well. So it doesn't mean that it's perfect. It doesn't mean that it sounds amazing 100% of the time, but it does mean that most of the time it feels good and it's, it's easy to produce. And again, I think to get that, sometimes that looks like modifying your life or your environment in, an away, in a way that allows you to do that. So again, it's kind of that, that intersection of voice and story, but yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And, and t talk a little bit more about voice and story, because one of the things I noticed is you, you don't go just one way. It's not that your voice is about your story or that your story is about your voice, but you, you, you even just said the intersection of that and how they influence each other. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I think, I think how we use our voices is cumulative. Um, so in a, in a muscle memory sense, I'm asking my muscles to do something over and over and over. And again, I want to, I want to employ a pattern that's sustainable and comfortable literally when I produce my voice. So that means taking good breaths, um, you know, having a good balance of your respiration, your vocal cords themselves, how they vibrate, and then your articulation. So your lips and your tongue and your jaw and all these things, are they working together? If any one of those subsystems is imbalanced the other ones will kind of compensate and that's that's really to me what tension is so it is literal we need that to work and we need to be aware of it but the story part of it to me comes in and just says how do i want to speak myself into my life you know um mm. so and it's usually more than one thing when i think about myself i think well I want to work with people and help people. So I, I certainly have a voice that I'm going to use, hopefully that is warm and empathetic, but also like uh, displaying competence, right? But I also am a mother. I, I have a few versions of mom voice that can be really <laughs> and kind and sweet and nurturing, and it can be very stern and serious. Um right? We need to be able to project across the yard or across the street. If there's danger, we might have, um, you know, different roles that we play. And so I think it's, for me, it's a, a consciousness of, of, again, building awareness, am I communicating what I want? So maybe going back to like the Enneagram or any kind of personality, I may 
inadvertently communicate strength and intensity a lot more than I want to. And my family would probably say like, they're reading anger from me more than I want. And I don't always feel angry. It's just the way I am. It's just how intense I am or how loud I am or whatever. So it is kind of checking in, like, is there a good match between who I am? And, and again, for me, like that tender core, am I, am I sharing that (laughs) in my voice and in my work and as a mother, as a human? So I think it's, it's, it's kind of an awareness of both and of both voice and story. And, um, for me, I guess I've also evaluated that in writing. So for me, it's not always a literal voice. It's um, the ways that maybe I I do creative writing or write essays mm. or songwriting. And is that a way to communicate some of those more artistic or, you know, um, warm parts of me? Yes. But yeah. I'm sure they happen. So there's a sense in which what it's not just what's coming out of you, but it's how it's coming out has a lot to tell us about where we are, how others are experiencing us, how we're experiencing the world in which we live. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because people will come to me because they see a mismatch. They're like, I'm a CEO and my voice is really wobbly and inconsistent. And I don't like that. I don't feel nervous and it sounds bad. So like, how do I match that? And that might be a really easy fix when someone notices that and they have some tools on board and now they're both, they're feeling confident and sounding confident, which is great. Um, Sometimes, you know, that's usually a pretty easy road. It's like, oh, I wanna sound more confident, great. But sometimes it's letting the cracks show a little bit it's 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 sharing that shaking voice with somebody else or um you know being vulnerable or or being you know uh imperfect with others and that can be literal you know like letting people hear that we're struggling um and i think that's why voice and communication that includes voice is so important Because if we have written communication, especially like text or email, especially in like times like these, it's really easy to miss that somebody's not okay or, you know, to really get the full sense of, of all the emotions, you know, joy too. So I think, I think when we share voices with each other, really cool things happen. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier the um, Zoom conferencing, the digital yeah. World that in some ways has been a benefit to us in the midst of COVID. And in the other ways, I mean, I, you know, there's the new phrase Zoom fatigue, which mm-hmm. never existed before March. Mm-hmm. How has that in your experience impacted? You just talked about texts and email as well. Yeah. But what impact has that had on the work that you do? And how, what are some, maybe even some tips that you have for us? You, one of the things you mentioned was, um, the, you know, we don't pick up the nonverbals, which I find myself on zoom calls. I have to take crazy amounts of notes more than I ever have. Cause I don't remember conversations hmm. like I do when we're in person, but what are, what are some things you're seeing, or maybe even some, some thoughts you have that would be helpful for, for all of us listening? Yes, absolutely. So a really common 
compensation that people will make if we are talking either across a distance or in the case of Zoom, I think it feels like a distance because someone's not right in front of us. Something we all naturally do to kind of subconsciously overcome that is we talk loudly. So we're like, you know, again, maybe one click louder and we're doing that for 50 minutes in a row, four calls in a row, we're going to be really tired. It's not sustainable. So a really easy tip is what you and I are both doing right now, which is wearing speakers or like an internal, you know, headset as we talk so that I can hear myself amplified through my own microphone as I speak to you. So I have Mm -hmm. more pressure to push loud because I, I can hear myself and It's also, again, an awareness thing. Once you kind of know like, oh, I probably do that, you know, put a little sticky note on your computer and say like, watch your volume. Um, (laughs) See if that helps because that pushing is exhausting and doesn't, doesn't feel good. The other thing I would say is, you know, with Zoom, but also with masks, um, if we can, it's really common to strain because we're speaking through now a physical barrier that's blocking, you know, our sound. Um, Something we can do that's helpful is using what's called articulatory precision or just simply clear, crisp speech like I'm doing now. I'm just kind of extra enunciating, especially flowy sounds. If I do that, those tend to cut through the noise and the background and the distance better than being louder. So it's being more clear versus being more loud. Fascinating. (laughs) This is all just from one, (laughs) one part of our whole self. One of the things I, I, I wanted to ask you about, and I mentioned it at the beginning when I introduced you, actually two things I'd love to ask you about, um, and both engage voice and, um, identity and story is first, you work with transgender voice care. I'd love to hear what led you to that important work. Yeah. I think for me, first of all, I love my work in general. I love helping people with their voices. And for me, that often translates into helping, like into advocacy. So if someone is not being heard or doesn't feel like they have a voice. And especially if in it's a marginalized group, like um, the transgender population, it's, it's a, for me, something I'm really passionate about is, is giving that some attention and care. So um, I think because voice therapy is a bit of a niche already, I was finding across my career that transgender individuals were reaching out to me for help and the interesting you know, thing to acknowledge is, of course, having an, a voice that feels incongruent to your gender identity isn't a pathology. So this isn't a, a place of coming in and being an expert. Uh, it's a posture, especially for me as a cisgender white woman, it's a posture of, of trying to help inform and support somebody as they are transforming their voice. And that looks like for many people, just all the things we're talking about, helping identify patterns, uh, identify tension, 
Um, and for many people, it looks like building sustainable vocal choices that that help one speak, you know, in a way that is congruent with their gender. Hmm. And the second thing that you talked about, I mean, you spoke about being a music major mm-hmm. and you, uh, you're still using music because you're a part of the Lehigh Valley Choir. And what you've chosen to do with that is sing at the bedside of those in hospice care. And I'm really curious about what led, I mean, that's sacred work. And, and so I'm really curious about what led you into that. Yeah. So this, this gets into my story, which, um, I lost my boy when my dad died and he and I were really close. He was a musician and we spent, you know, my childhood singing songs together and talent shows. And he was amazing. Um, and when he, unfortunately, he was diagnosed with throat cancer, of all things. And, you know, this is something that I work with as a speech pathologist, especially a voice therapist. We often see people with head and neck cancer. So it was a really hard and, and very literal intersection of my voice and my story. And I just felt like I couldn't um, sing, you know, I don't, I, it was just where tension lived in me, Mm. really, really hard to sing. And as a voice therapist, that really impacted my work because I do kind of rely on somewhat of a sing songy voice in order to demonstrate things and cue patients and whatnot. But also it's, it's a huge part of my quality of life. So I couldn't sing. Um, And my dad, when he was dying, he asked me not to be at his bedside when he died. Hmm. And so I wasn't, and my sister ignored him and was there. So it was really hard for me that I wasn't there. Um, I'm kind of a rule follower, so I I would never dream of being there if he asked me not to be. Um, and And I think it's fine, of course, that my sister had a different choice, and that's a different story. But for me, I wasn't there. And um, so I couldn't sing. I had this huge loss. And uh, that looked like for me, I thought, I, I need to sing, I need to find my voice again. And I found this threshold choir, it's called, and they are a hospice choir and they had a chapter in Philly. So that's about an hour and a half away from me. So I signed up and every week I drove down there and I, I spent that time basically sobbing to Mm. I cried and sang at the same time for like a year. And I joined my wobbling off pitch, highly trained voice that was totally broken with these older, you know, sweet, um, retired people who do this for fun and for their, for their, you know, own reasons. And, um, so yeah, I just, I did that a lot and, and they, they want you to train for a bit before you actually sing at the bedside, right? It's like, let's prep you for this. So I was terrified to actually do it because I thought, you know, literally is grief, gonna just break me (laughs) like Mm. can I withstand how painful it is to be in a space like that um but 
the really cool thing that happened was my broken, imperfect voice was a gift to people. And, you know, it helped them. And it helped me a lot to be able to go into a very sacred space and uh, make music there. I mean, it's, it's so beautiful. And I love that the emphasis isn't on having a perfect voice or singing really well. It's, um, it's about sharing, you know? So I started a chapter in my area after that. And due to COVID, we haven't been doing it, but um, it's still really important work. And it's really the only type of choir that I want to be in anymore. <laughs> it's it's uh, really meaningful. So, Wow. And so would you say, you, you talked about losing your voice, mm-hmm. um, and now you're using it. Is that been using your voice again, a, a, a path toward healing yes. for you, a path through grief for you? Yes. And it, it really wasn't possible to get my old voice back. And I tell this to my patients all the time. The number one goal people say is like, I just want my old voice back. And I'm like, your old voice is gone. You know, mm. we, we created that old voice with a bunch of patterns that were maladaptive or whatever was going on. Uh, oftentimes, you know, this isn't true for everyone, of course, but by and large, when we're talking about tension and how it impacts the voice, it's kind of like, let's actually find a new voice. Can it still be you? But can it be new? And and yeah, so for me, using, again, an, an imperfect or a broken voice felt very outside of my training and outside of what I thought, you know, you should do. But it actually looked like finding a voice that was really authentically me. Um, and that maybe does you know, let those cracks show more and more than I used to. And yeah. Wow. You know, as I'm listening to you talk about voice and your choosing, or maybe it's, you didn't choose, you were chosen to, to enter this work. Um, I'm wondering, have you interacted at all with the word vocation, which comes from the Latin vocari, which means to call, which is connected to the same word as voice and this longstanding tradition of this idea of calling and voice, which is the way that the mystery or that God, the divine, however you want to say it, enters the world through you. Have you you interacted with that at all? I never in a million years connected that no the idea of calling being like a voice i know that thomas merton quote i think it's thomas merton that's like god speaks me like a word um into the world you know that one it's i'm not familiar with that one no i think it's thomas merton i'll look it up and we can check but (laughs) that 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 blows my mind i love that no i haven't thought of that in that way yeah because i'm listening to you talk and i'm like this is this feels so natural to not like, Oh, I chose a profession and I went and did that. Um, and and for those of you listening, vocation is not your job. Mm -hmm. Vocation is a deep calling that, um, in a somewhat mysterious way comes from within you and from without it's this, Mm -hmm. the thing that you can't stop doing. 
Um, Frederick Beekner says your vocation is where your deep gladness meets the world's deepest need. And as I'm hearing you talk, I'm like, wait a second. I wrote it down. I'm like, Oh, there's this vocation. There's vocari, there's voice. Um, and so I think it's fantastic. The, the work that you're, um, giving yourself over to, and that you've been called into, um, you've also, you've written a book, you have a manuscript ready. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm so fascinated to hear what that's about. It is about my story of voice loss and finding it. So the the sneak peek is basically what we just talked about. But I do I do talk about those patterns that I see in patients, and I really outline each one. And um, it's kind of I I describe it as part memoir, part how to. So it's kind of a hybrid of like these are some practical tips, but also this is this is my story. And, um, yeah, I absolutely hope that it, it literally gives voice to, um, people. I think it, it's a very universal in, in the, in the sense that many of us lose access to our voice at times and maybe to parts of ourself. And so connecting those two and exploring those two can really bring us wholeness in a really good, important way. Hmm. And you also, I spoke at the beginning about the podcast. When does that come out? When does that release? I hope this year we are recording every week and, and kind of stockpiling a bunch of episodes. Um, me and another speech pathologist named Leah Halu, who is a, a researcher and studies brain voice pathways. So it's a really cool um, podcast. And we interview people from all different walks of life. And I like to think of it as kind of a collection of different voices. It's really fun for a podcast format because you, you literally hear just so many different types of voices. So um, hopefully this year, but maybe early 2020, we'll see what else, or I mean, 2021, we'll see what else uh, 2020 has in store. <laughs> yeah. And 20, 2020 doesn't quit. I, I actually got a text just the other day from a friend of mine who jokingly said, um, yeah, I just heard that next week we're supposed to have a volcanic eruption. Ha ha ha. And I texted him a news article and said, no, that happened today. And, um, it was, there was a volcanic eruption in Ecuador that spewed ash 40,000 feet into the air in a matter of hours. <laughs> I'm like, what else? What else? 2020. No. Um, a lot. And my hope is, is that we'll have the resilience to move through it and, um, not lose our voices, but maybe even find our voices through it. Yeah. Um, where can our listeners find you online? Yeah. I'm mostly on Instagram or Twitter. Both are at Carly Berge and, um, my website's carlyberge.com. So please reach out. I would love to hear from anybody. Awesome. And I will put a link to your, uh, website on, in the, um, the description of the podcast episode. For, so, so for those of you listening who want to reach out to Carly, you can just go there and click on that link and you can learn more about her and her work that she is doing. Carly, thank you so much. Uh, it's so been so good to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Michael. It's awesome talking with you. Well, that is it for today. And my prayer for all of us is that we would learn to hear our voice, the voice that speaks from the depths so that we would grow into those who speak with authenticity. And it's authentic voices that are so needed in our world today. And so my hope is that you would learn to speak with that voice and summon the courage to allow your voice to be heard. Many thanks again to Carly 
and so grateful for the important work that she is doing. And with all of that said, that is it for today. So until next time, as always, much love and peace be with you.